This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. Arkansas, 2017. It's dark around the state capitol building. A relatively calm evening. People drive quietly, each car following a similar steady path as the one before it. Until a Dodge Dart speeds up a hill and veers off the road. One car decided to depart from the normal trajectory and smashed into a three-ton stone monument, breaking it into basically three large pieces. And the monument had been there for less than 24 hours. Now it lay strewn across a boring concrete sidewalk. For almost one glorious day, this monument had once displayed the Ten Commandments, the law that God gave to Moses on top of the mountain. Now it was just another mess for the janitor to clean up. And this was no accident. The man driving the car in question did it on purpose because he didn't believe that the U.S. government should be allowed to display texts from a religious document, something about separation of church and state. So he drove his car into a solid object. Strangely, this wasn't the first time he'd driven off the road and into a monument, or into a monument of the Ten Commandments. He'd done it in Oklahoma in 2014, breaking that one into four pieces. That time he said it was because Satan told him to do it. He was hearing voices. In Arkansas, though, he claimed to be a Christian. The man was treated for mental illness. Now, don't let that cloud your judgment. This guy in the Dodge Dart he represents an extreme version of something we keep bumping up against, something we may need to rethink. You're listening to the podcast that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Steren, and this is Truce. The Bible is divided into two big chunks, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Well, you probably knew that. Uh, if you were to think really simple about this, let's say that this is the difference between Judaism and Christianity. Jewish people have the Old Testament and Christians have the New. They've got one agreement with God and we've got the fulfillment of that agreement. The Bible has all these uh, contracts between God and humanity. Well, bigger than contracts, really. They're super hyper binding agreements, and those are called covenants. Let's really oversimplify here and say we can basically call those same two chunks of the Bible two different covenants. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And before you write in, I know there are more than two covenants in the Old Testament alone, but we've got a long way to go here, so let's keep it simple. Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. I asked some people around my church to describe these two different covenants. Yeah, so the kind of friend that I am, I come to parties where everybody's around the fire, they're having food. Socializing. Socializing, enjoying hot dogs. Mm. And I asked them about the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. So, friend, what do you know about the Old and the New Covenants? So the Old Covenant, if I was to give an elevator speech on it, 
is that God gave us Ten Commandments to live, and that was the commandment we were supposed to agree to, to live as, I guess, as righteous as we could on earth. Oh, should I name them now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt make no graven images. You know, don't kill, don't murder, don't yeah. covet thy neighbor's wife, that kind of stuff. It actually covers a lot of different areas of coveting, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Coveting in general. Yeah. Thou shalt not steal. Keep holy the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not ask friends difficult questions in party settings. Was that one of them? <laughs> don't commit adultery. Um, thou shalt not use the ooh, use the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill. The law illustrates basically where we fall short um, in our need for God. But I think in terms of a covenant, um, I feel like we break that covenant often and there was always some type of um, trying to sacrifice and, and redeem ourselves for falling short of that covenant. In the old covenant, in order for us to, after we sin, to be made right with God again, there would have to be blood sacrifices or we would have to offer something for atonement um, to get us back right with God again. There would have to be, it says, I, I don't know where in the Bible, but he says, without the, without the, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. It just goes on. There's a lot. There's a lot of different rules. And then the new covenant is where Christ came to die for our sins. And he, he died on, on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we can have eternal life um, by faith. Or, yeah, faith and grace. What's the word I'm looking for? Gosh, this is hard. You're doing awesome. This is hard. Yeah. The new covenant brought to us by Jesus shed blood is a new covenant um, basically not on our own merits not our own work but what he's done for us sacrificially once and for all um, the righteous dying for the unrighteous so that um, just through belief in him we can have eternal life our sins are forgiven currently so we don't have to do anything to be in right standing with God other than receive his grace Okay. Am I rocking this? I'm yeah, rocking oh yeah. this party. Oh yeah, I there's lots of girls checking you out right now. <laughs> God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. First, let's look at the Old Covenant. The Old Testament is kind of like watching the world grow. It goes from being one person one, to two, two to a family to many nations. Hallelujah. One of those nations becomes the Jews. Their country, as you probably know, was Israel, and God gave those people laws to follow, some of which were the Ten Commandments, and those are just some of the laws. 
If you broke those laws, it was called sin. Still is. In the Old Covenant, if you sinned, you had to pay for it by sacrificing animals, because sin requires blood. If sin happens, something has to bleed. In the Old Covenant, they dealt with that by sacrificing a lot of animals. A lot, lot. Sometimes for individual sins, and sometimes for the sins of a whole nation. Some cows, some sheep. It would have been really hard to keep a petting zoo open. There were laws about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. Jewish people couldn't eat pork, had to be circumcised, wore certain clothes, followed the Ten Commandments, celebrated many festivals. And all the while, in the New Covenant, all of that sacrificing was done away with. Blood was still required for sin. Instead of killing animals, it was Jesus' blood that paid the price. With that new agreement, with the New Covenant, came different rules. Each new covenant in the Bible means new terms. The old covenant is done away with, and the new one sets up shop. Let's say you make an agreement with your roommate. If you agree to cut the grass, then your roommate, Derek, hey, all right, bro, will do the dishes. We'll make this agreement behave like a covenant. So you're out in the yard, push mowing the lawn, and hard at work. You go inside to get a glass of lemonade, and there are no clean glasses. The whole sink is full of unwashed cups, and Derek is on the couch watching reality TV. If our example were like our relationship with God, you'd have the right to demand some sort of payment for breaking the covenant. Derek maybe owes you something for not keeping his end of the bargain. That could be money, or maybe the bigger of the two rooms something. There has to be payment. This happens across time. God holds up his end of the bargain, and we fail. Yeah, the dishes are still in the sink. Throughout the Old Testament, we kept being like Derek. We couldn't or wouldn't hold up our end of the bargain. God stayed true to his promises, but we didn't. Which is why the people kept having to sacrifice. This is not a perfect example, of course, but Let's just say this arrangement with the dishes and mowing the lawn is not working out. What you and Derek might do is say, Derek vacuums the living room and you'll dust the furniture. If these agreements were covenants, that old thing with the dishes and the grass would be done. No more. If you and Derek make a new covenant to trade vacuuming for dusting, the old one is over. The new covenant puts an end to the old one. There is now only vacuuming and dusting. No more mowing the grass in exchange for dishes. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, the old covenant was done away with. It's kaput, finito. Our debt has been paid. You can see this for yourself in Hebrews 8 if you want to fact check me. Jesus took our debt on himself, and that old covenant is done. Until, and we have a nasty habit of this, we try to bring it back. What some are calling a new blow for the faithful, just days after the U.S. Supreme Court redefined the tradition of marriage. In 2015, Fox News reported that a stone monument was causing trouble. Declared a monument of the Ten Commandments is a religious symbol and must be removed from the grounds of the state capitol. 
a judge had ordered that they be removed, calling for separation of church and state. The state's attorney general fought back. And that attorney general was Scott Pruitt, who we did a whole episode about. Go back and listen to it. And I didn't know that before I started researching this episode. This show is getting very meta for me. The monument came down in October of that year. It was met with wide press coverage and a peaceful protest by cowboys on horseback. And the monument came down. Peacefully this time, no dodge darts. Roy Moore, another person we've discussed on this show, had his own battle with the Ten Commandments on public land. He had a marble monument installed in the Arkansas State Judicial Building. He was removed from office in 2003 because he didn't comply with a ruling that the monument had to go. And so he went with the monument. Moore was elected again in 2012, and then he was ousted again. It's not just these big-name guys that we've talked about before. There's a school in Pennsylvania that had the Ten Commandments taken down in 2017, the state capitol in Texas, a Kentucky courthouse, and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2005 that some of them are acceptable and some of them are not. It has to do with whether or not they promote religion or are part of a display on historic legal documents. Basically, you just need to slap a Magna Carta next to it and you might be okay. Some of us Christians get really passionate about the Ten Commandments. We celebrate when they go up, and we protest when they come down. These monuments are largely supported and erected by Christians. The funny thing is, the Ten Commandments? Do you know where they are in the Bible? The Old Testament. Which means, if you remember from what we talked about before, Christians are no longer technically under these laws. They're a part of a whole different covenant, an old agreement with God. We Christians keep putting up laws that we are no longer subject to, at least in that nice 10-point fashion. We fight to keep them there. We put the Ten Commandments on coffee mugs and on t-shirts, keychains, and online I even saw a cross with the Ten Commandments etched into it. Which is funny because if you think about it, it's the cross that put the Ten Commandments out of business. Before you decide to take a dodge dart to your local monument, and I don't even know where you'd find one, let me briefly tell you what Jesus said. He said that the Old Covenant told us not to commit adultery. I guess we all knew that. But Jesus up to the ante. He said that if one of us looks at another person with lust in our hearts, we've already committed adultery. So it's not just about our actions, but according to Jesus, it's about our heart. We don't even have to have sex with somebody else to have committed adultery. He does the same for murder. If we hate someone, we've committed murder in our hearts. So we're not technically under the Ten Commandments anymore, but we are called to a higher standard than the Ten Commandments as Christians because it matters where our hearts are and not just what we do. We spend so much energy fighting over the Ten Commandments in the public square, yet nobody is fighting to keep love your neighbor as yourself or turn the other cheek on the walls of any courtroom. There's nothing wrong with monuments. Really, we can build as many as we want to, as long as we realize that monuments are a testament to the past. If we want to have an impact on the future, the really important monuments have to be living and breathing. They have to be us. The Ten Commandments work so well because they're succinct. Yet, that's not the standard we're called to. 
ours is a much higher one. Maybe our goal shouldn't be the simplicity of a bullet-pointed list. Maybe our goal should be living out our lives to be monuments. You could have thousands of living, breathing monuments testifying to the work of Christ everywhere we go. Wherever you work, eat, shop, live. In courtrooms, hallways, schools, there could be people who really love their neighbor and share the gospel. And isn't that much better than some old words etched into stone tablets brought down from a mountain that technically no longer apply? I think so. Tell us what you think about these Ten Commandment monuments by recording a voice memo on your phone and emailing it to me at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. We might just play some on the show. Special thanks to Carl Klemmer and Nick Steren for helping with research for this episode. Our logo is by Andy Huff. And Roy Browning from the Business Acumen Podcast built our beautiful new website. Go look at it. That site is trucepodcast.com. And once there, you can see pictures, read related articles, find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts, and much more. We've also got a sweet email list that will keep you up to date and is full of bonus materials. If you like what you hear on the Truce Podcast, go to your social media platforms and share one of our pre-made ads with your followers. A like is nice, but a share is better. And consider donating a few dollars to us if you can. You could cover the cost of our Skype calls with just $3 per month, or the cost of our music, which is about $8.30 per month. Links are available on our website or go to patreon.com slash trucepodcast. And hey, thanks for listening. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?